Hi, this is Micah Clark, and this is the All Souls Catechesis Podcast. This year, our theme is Signs of Life, Reflections on Hope, and we'll be hearing from members of our community about where they found hope this last year. And today we have with us uh, Father Andrew. Um, Father Andrew, for, I feel like most people listening to this podcast probably know who you are, but for those who might not or who want to learn something new, uh, why don't you go ahead and you can tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm Andrew Unger. Um, you, uh, I think many of you know, lots of you know, well, who knows who knows. Maybe we've got some, uh, some visitors who are just trying out All Souls by listening to our podcast. Um, I was born in, uh, in Canada in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Um, I lived briefly in Hawaii before returning to Canada and then moving to Ohio. That's its own story for another day. But um, my family now lives in the Cleveland area, my parents and my my brother. Um, it's in Cleveland in high school where I met Joy, uh, Deacon, not then Deacon, of course, but now Deacon Joy, who is, um, who is my wife. Um, so we are high school sweethearts. We are that obnoxious couple. Um, I think often it's difficult to do youth ministry and talk about dating with high schoolers because you want to do the like, hey, relationships come and go. Like, it's not like you're necessarily going to marry this person. But I have to say necessarily because like, I don't know, you are going to marry that person. I married that person for me. Um, yeah, you need to give them some hard data on that, don't you? It's yeah. like we are one of the 7% of successful. Don't be like us. <laughs> unlikely. <laughs> that reminds me, I remember hearing Alan Jacobs when he was teaching at Wheaton say that he would always, when students would ask for like recommendation forms for graduate school, he would first try and actively dissuade them from going into graduate school. And then like if they were persistent, he's like, fine, I'll write you the recommendation. But like, it was sort of like, there are no jobs. These jobs are going away. Mm -hmm. um, I happen to be at an endowed chair. It is unlikely, just statistically speaking, that you are going to be in my position. I do not want to <laughs> encourage you to gain more student debt for like, especially because he was an English professor. So it's not like, we're not talking like a booming industry. Yeah, the, the humanities, they're, uh, they're hiring more of those these days, I think. <laughs> right, everyone wants to, <clears throat> humanities yeah. is a booming industry. Um, and then not only not only that, but he actually went on to find not just one, but another one right. after the one he was at. So even a better example. The number of times I see that guy's name as a recommendation on books that aren't even English books. Um, <laughs> famously, uh, Mike Strachan, for those of you who remember Father Mike, um, he and I were shocked that um, Richard Hayes, this famous New, famous New Testament professor, I think on his book about... New Testament use of the Old Testament has an Alan Jacobs recommendation on the back. How Alan, like, I mean, granted, I see Alan's name on it, and I think this is probably a good book, but how he kind of got that kind of reputation where he gets to weigh in on, like, biblical studies books, English books, just anything. If Alan recommends something, you're like, yes, <laughs> Alan is, but I think, but he knew that not everybody was going to. <clears throat> Anyways. Right. You know, I, I actually I even listened to him get, sit on a panel um, about a sci-fi book um, huh. him and Adam Roberts, the, the author of the book, who is an atheist. And the third um, third person was uh, Rowan Williams. 
Um, <laughs> naturally. <'Cause> why not? <laughs> it's like you just picked a couple of names out of the hat. Um, but anyway, uh, we digress. So, um, so I, I went to college uh, at Moody Bible Institute, and then I got the job here at All Souls, fresh out of Moody. You can hear some of those details on Joy's episode of the podcast when she shares some of her story. Um, Alan actually interviewed me. I had no idea who he was. Um, I'm very glad I didn't know who he, he was, just some professor, and I showed up in his office and talked to him a bit. Um, yeah, and so I've been here at All Souls since then. Um, really have grown to fall in love with the Anglican tradition. Um, even as late as my ordination to the diaconate in 2009, um, I, I was asking the the bishop who ordained me, like, okay, am I committing to the Anglican Church forever, or is this just like, <laughs> is this just like I, I'm? And, and he assured me that I was being ordained into Christ's one holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. I wasn't, I wasn't making a lifelong vow to the Anglican Church. Um, but I, by now, I can't imagine being in any other kind of church. There's, there's such beauty in Anglicanism um, in the liturgy. Other churches have liturgies, but. Um, there's something about Anglicanism's ability to hold a, an incredible diversity of opinions that are not compatible in any way, shape, or form, mm. um, but insist that we kind of hold it all in tension. That has, that has won my heart in a way that, like, I'm ruined for anybody else. I, I can't go be a Lutheran. I can't go be a Presbyterian. <laughs> yeah. And question for me. That's a really interesting uh, observation in that. I don't, I don't what I, and correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think you're saying, you know, oh, we can have you know a diversity of belief within the church, and that's right. wonderful. Even though, of course, that that's you know almost always the case. Yeah. What you're saying is, hey, we all collectively agree that there is there is a lot of mystery yeah. uh, here. Yeah. There's a there's an appreciation for mystery that allows Anglicans to say, okay, we we approach this very differently, but but I recognize that. Um, that the, that the creed still hold, hold us together. Like, it's not a believe whatever you want mm -hmm. fest, but there is a sense mm -hmm. that, like, <laughs> even, like, one of us is wrong. Like, when it comes to some of these things, it's like, well, well one of us is, is right or wrong. Um, not to dive too deep into controversial subjects, but, like, the ACNA is currently dealing with, has, has always been dealing with tension about women's ordination of the priesthood, and, like, the question eventually comes to a head of, like, either this is something that is good and should be done because it represents the diversity of the church or it's bad and it should not be done because it contradicts God's order for the church. And so it's, you, you can't have them both at the same time. And as much as it's been a tense place, I do find something admirable about the ACNA choosing to say like, this is not, this does not have to do with the core of what we believe the gospel is. And so we will try as best as we can to work these things out. I especially admire those for whom it's a particular place of pain. I mean, for, for those women mm -hmm. who are priests mm -hmm. who have chosen to engage in a place full of people who either think they should not have been or by definition have not been ordained as priests. Um, for right. people who choose to engage in that, I have a lot of admiration for them. So... I don't know if you get that in other places. Maybe you do, but um, yeah, I've been I've been ruined for Anglicanism forever now. <laughs> That's a good place to be. We're all the better for it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, in keeping with the theme of podcast, um, where have you found hope this past year? Yeah. So, um, 
knocked over a couple. And you're gonna you're gonna explain what that loud ringing noise was yes. that we just heard at some yes, point. That, that that sound of hard plastic smacking again. Yeah. I'll explain what that hard plastic is in a minute. Um, so uh, we've had all these amazing examples of people where they found hope. Um, and, and there's something incredibly important about noticing places or hearing places or coming across that. Um, the thing I want to talk about tonight, though, is I've found hope. For me, hope is in the hoping. It's in the active choice to to hope sometimes when hope cannot be easily found right hope is that assurance of things not seen there's a sense of of not receiving something and so there's an act of faith in your hoping i guess um and so to to kind of pitch it as a with a thesis my my goal tonight is that everybody listening will want i say tonight we're recording in the evening um is that everybody will will hopefully want to try and engage in a creative expression of their hope. This is gonna be my pitch to try and be creative, take advantage of creativity, find a way for you to um, express hope, maybe in a way without words. That's the, the title I chose for today is expressing hope without words. But before I get there, I actually have to back up a little bit and talk about expressing hope with words to kind of explain how I got to this position. Um, so I used to do a lot of, um, back when we could see people in person, um, I really enjoyed leading um, sort of workshops or, or, or exercises with a youth group that would involve um, creative expression like about um, the collects or writing psalms. So the collects, those weekly prayers we say every, every Sunday in the service, there is a, um, there's kind of a general format to them. Um, Alan Jacobs, in fact, in his book on the Book of Common Prayer, um, talks about a little structure they have of sort of uh, a salutation, you know, God of the universe, God of all creation, God who made all things, you know, God who is our redeemer. Um, so a salutation, um, then a sort of true thing about God, you know, you have made everything or who loves us beyond measure, or something that is true, then a petition based on that truth. Um, so because you made everything, help us to love your creation as St. Francis did or, you know, whatever. And then a sort of closing that's like, because you are king of all things with the Father and the Holy Spirit, you know, something something that often then kind of some wraps it up. I think I'm doing justice to his, um, his little structure. So what I, I would invite the students to like, write your own collect. Um, or similarly, we would do the Psalms and it was, okay, Psalms often do this work where they're, contrasting lines and you talk a little bit about how psalms kind of are structured but then just giving everybody space to to write their own thing wherever they are um and the psalms i i say this all the time um but john golden gay i read once said the psalms are 150 different things you're allowed to say to god there's this incredible diversity of like what might go on and so um the psalms are often expressing hope even when there's not always hope there, or even when, um, even when there's only a fledgling amount of hope. And I think there's something about expressing hope that creates a feedback loop, right? That sort of, as you notice it, you try and respond, and in responding it comes back and it kind of feeds itself. Um, and so I think the expression of hope ends up doing a lot of good work for the hope, for the hoper. Um, inventing all kinds of words here um, for the one who is hoping um, so that was the word-based one I started to get into some more 
abstract or or not word-based creative outlets um, through a curriculum called Echo the Story. And we use that with a youth group where um, Echo the Story tells a part of the biblical narrative and then it, it invites you to um, do what they call a remix. So it's like draw the family tree of Adam and Eve's kids or something like that. And it was some some sort of goofy little activity that would involve kind of trying to trying to deepen a little bit. The guy who created it, uh, his name is Michael Novelli. He's big into Montessori and like hands-on learning styles and things like that. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit, um, he's an interesting guy, but he's, he's runs a creative agency and I really have learned a lot from him. Um, and so I, I would never pick the drawing one because I'm a terrible artist. But then I would, I tried it a couple times. And what I found was, um, even in, because I can't draw for anything, I would, I would kind of draw abstract shapes like that would do a little bit of work or I draw a little bit of um, I don't know whatever I could and I actually found that in the process of abstraction um, in the process of of doing something that was a little bit like unclear um, I was kind of able to articulate things in a way that I might not have in words or, or I wouldn't be able to find the words for it what I, what I discovered is sometimes the creative practices that didn't involve words could represent emotions or feelings or ideas in a way that was more full than the words that I could have. Um, it was, in fact, a little bit, um, I don't know, more real. Kind of like when you, when you look at a painting, sometimes, sometimes it's sort of incredible and someone has to explain it and you're sort of grasping at words because it does something that words can't convey. Um, in fact, if you can describe a painting with prose, with just a paragraph of words, it's probably not a great painting. If you can, if you can do all the work of a giant painting in just a simple sentence, it just doesn't do that work. Um, so I think about, I think about the, the camels, our infamous camels in our narthex at All Souls. Um, and, and there used to be hanging there a little artist statement from Joel Sheasley, the painter. It, or I don't think it was about the, the camels in particular. It might have been about the series. But it was sort of all about the kingdom of God breaking in. Um, you know, the kingdom of God hitting up with suburbia or smashing into suburbia. And so these camels and wealth and eye of the needle and stuff like that. And there's just something about... I mean, sometimes you need a little bit to kind of give you a direction. Um, but even the paragraph, me saying that to you does not do justice to the painting and the, mm-hmm. the woman who's like squinting and like these smelly camels are in front of her and like this serene like cookie cutter McMansions in the background and like mm-hmm. there's no way that the words do justice to the painting. And so what I discovered is even in the expression, trying to do something without words sometimes could express an idea more fully than the words. Um. more fully than the words it's it's interesting you say that because it's when you when you go through something that's abstract like that with no words it's automatically assumed well it actually expresses less so what you're saying is kind of um counter to what anyone would think and if you've ever been to an art museum you know you're you kind of you, you head into the adventure all right we'll go look at the modern wing mm-hmm. and uh and you rely on whatever's next to the painting 
um, you're, you're, you're probably not going to read the description of Nighthawks or whatever, but when you go and it's like, all right, well, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and uh, you, you're just like, yeah, tell, what does it mean? Explain this to me. Yeah. Um, and uh, take, take away the mystery. Right. Right. Make this understandable. Just give me a sentence so I can get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I imagine um, listening or observing or watching art and creating art are a little bit different um, because I think there's something kind of cool about how an artist can mean something very particular um, but art isn't I don't think art and I'm way out of my field here but to me art isn't necessarily um, meant to be communicative in the way that words are communicative and so once you create something the fact that someone else might come up with something different as an interpretation isn't necessarily bad because I think there's a way in which you make something evocative, you pour yourself into it, and then someone else looking at it might come up with something different. They might come up with nothing. Um, and so I think there's something kind of cool about, you know, once something exists, it exists. Um, this is, I feel like Star Wars comes up on the podcast all the time, but I'm bring it up anyways. Um, I, I recently read a history of the changes in special editions and there's the infamous did han shoot first in the cantina in the first star wars of course yeah um and george lucas when he was interviewed about it um sort of said he didn't like that han could be a bad guy who would shoot someone in cold blood right so he had right yeah edited in these awkward things where it seems like he sort of recognizes Greedo shoots first and then dodges and shoots first as if like he has his gun out of his holster is pointing it at the guy under the table but has like a moral conviction that he refuses to be the first person to pull the trigger like it's just <laughs> kind of nonsensical but I'm very curious to see where this is going <laughs> as a kid Han Solo was was like this renegade and so like he shot that guy under the table and he does it with this like total cocky like Greedo says, I've been waiting for this for a long time. And Harrison Ford as Han Solo is like, yeah, I'll bet you have. And then she <laughs> um, But once Star Wars existed in the world, 20 years later for George Lucas to say, actually, you've all got the wrong definition, which I contend it's what he meant back in 1977, but that's neither here nor there. But the point is this exists. And for you to say, well, no, no, you're not getting my meaning right. Um, I don't know. It, maybe it's different with songs, with lyrics or music and things like that. But there's uh, about- it, it can be. I mean, not not to interrupt you, but it, it seems like the, the same thing happens. Even it's even easier now to you know what what a lot of pop culture fans refer to as just like you know you're just retconning your own yeah. works. Um, you know, for J.K. Rowling to come out and say, well. Dumbledore was gay the whole time. Yeah, it's like, well, you're. She, I mean, she's not adding or subtracting. It's like right. you know, wh- your work is now separate. Like whatever, whatever you're talking about is not present in the text. Right. Um. And so you've got this imagined world that you're adding in. Like you're adding to the text with your yeah. Twitter feed. Um. But then you have you know when Kanye West released Life of, Life of Pablo. Um. I think it was like the next day he he announced. Oh, sorry everyone. I'm gonna fix wolves. Yeah, and then and then you you the streaming services automatically just have a different version of of wolves, right? Um, or that you can you can whereas some artists wouldn't even want that. They just want to say, nope. Once I'm done with this, it is done. Um, I don't want to even think about that thing for the next five years. And others are going to say, oh no, it's always a project. I spend twenty years working on it, and I'm still not done. Yeah, 
And it's funny, I think for the... I I bought Life of Pablo. I paid 20 bucks to just have the digital versions because I don't mm-hmm. have streaming services. So I just have whatever version he released at that point and I never get any updates. Um, but that's the... It's an interesting thing because as a consumer of art, I think it's weird to have an updating version of your of the work because I think in right. honoring any kind of creative piece, it, you just have the piece and then you can reflect on it. Mm-hmm. At the same time, for the pitch of what I'm making right now, for Kanye's own soul, um, I think the constant updating is fine because mm-hmm. I think it's actually good because each time he hears it, aside from whatever perfectionist notions we might have, um, or concerns about about his own sort of well-being that way. Um, there's something about saying, well, I'm just continually engaged in a process where I want to express myself. Um, and, and you know, we can get deep into the weeds about how the creator and the, and the audience and how that interaction goes. Um, but today, I think, in some ways, in terms of hoping, in terms of, of sort of this feedback loop of, of hope... Um, there's something about the creative process itself independent of an audience that I think is incredibly helpful. Um, or maybe to put it differently, other than your audience of one who is God, who you're expressing this to, mm-hmm. it's, it's um, who cares about the rest of the audience? Who, who mm-hmm. cares about other people listening? Um, because there's something about any of us who journal or any of us who write prayers that sort of are for us and for us and God any of that kind of work, right? It's about the process of writing it down. Or if you're in this way, these wordless ways of doing things, it's in the process of doing it. And whether or not someone gets it, um, the the point is you were sort of generating this, you were expressing mm-hmm. it, you were putting in the work, the creative work, as a way of releasing some of that hope, as noticing hope and saying, I'm gonna put this out there and and I'm going to do this as a way to hope, as a verb, rather than just like be hopeful as a state, mm-hmm. um, if that makes sense. I mean, I've got in, in my journals, I've got, um, you know, some of the little drawings I had as response to those Echo the Story things, because they were my way of telling that story and what it looked like to me. Um, and it might be that no one will ever look upon those. Um, Part of the value of putting it down in a way that you can go back and see it, though, is that you can go back and remember and revisit that in the same way that a prayer journal is handy, right? Um, again, there's a whole other question about how to be marketable and how to, how to make <laughs> art that benefits other people and the way in which your creativity can inspire hope. Obviously, the Psalms were written and everybody we all get to read them and participate in the psalmist's words. Um, the psalmists weren't just like, churning out pop art for the sake of it right like that's all deep groanings and prayers that are valuable to, to be shared and so i think i don't know as i think about it there's value in finding a community of people you can share your creative expressions of hope with so we can all kind of do this together um but what you've said is you know the important thing here with you is you know you finding hope um and be redirecting you to the prompt here. Um, you, you with, with you finding hope is um, you with the, you know, the audience of one with yeah. the, you know, the creator yeah. um, and whether it is, um, you know, it, it, whether it's ever shared with anyone else, whether it is even in any remote way, marketable or profitable is mm-hmm. just a completely separate thing. Um, first, 
you know, you've got to, you've got to find the hope in the hope in yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got to put in that work. Again, I, I really think about this as this feedback loop as you is doing the creative work is a, is a sort of response of praise or response of hope, mm-hmm. or sometimes I have found is articulating hope when it's only kind of there. Mm-hmm. But there's something about putting it down to paper or putting it down to canvas or putting it down to whatever your medium is, um, or, or to Game Boy, as it were. Um, oh, there's a spoiler. Um, <laughs> there's something about that that does work. So yes. The, the way that I have found um, my, my sort of creative expression um, is, a, is a genre of music we call chip tunes. Um, now I'm going to give a brief. We didn't, we didn't decide on the pronunciation primer or primer. Sure. When, when I say, uh, chip tunes. Um, so when I was in college, I discovered there's a whole genre of music of people who create electronic music using, um, original video game hardware. And so they, they sort of make programs that they sort of put on blank cartridges that look like the cartridges you had when you were a kid. Um, and it's sort of, music making software for your original video game hardware. So one of the more popular um, pieces of hardware is the Nintendo Game Boy. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have a number of Game Boys and this program called Little Sound DJ. Um, And I have this uh, very limited structure of sound options uh, on the Game Boy. Um, So to give you a little idea of what you can do with the Game Boy, you're learning a little bit about uh, (laughs) <laughs> about the Game Boy sound chip here. So Game Boys have uh, four different sound channels. They have two pulse channels, um, and those sound a little bit kind of what you think about when you think about video game music. So here, I'm going to see if I can play, see if I can do this right here. Um, so here's one thing. It might sound something like this. Right, like a little little beeps or things like that. And then mm-hmm. on top of that, you can. there's ways that you can change volume and make little arpeggios and things like that. So here on, on that same measure, um, here's the other pulse channel does little, little arpeggio things here. So all that is done by using little, um, you know, little fun, little techniques and little like programs built into the, into the software. Yeah. And it's what's neat is for a podcast, you can't really see what's going on, but you've actually got, a couple of physical Game Boys that you're holding here, and you're the way you're making these sounds. You're pressing buttons on a Game Boy. Right. Um, it's not like you're hitting a piano keyboard or a MIDI keyboard that's hooked up to the Game Boy. This is this is all this is programmed in in the same way that if someone were making music with their computer, it's already made. But this is this is being live generated on the spot. This isn't a recording. This is mm-hmm. my my Game Boy is plugged into my mixer, plugged into devices, into my computer, and this is you're getting real live generated music. There is in the chiptunes community. It is too small of a community to have this kind of fight. <laughs> uh, things that people call fake bit, which is when people have plugins on their computer to emulate the sound that a Game Boy might make. Purists, <laughs> yeah, no, this is wow. Purists will cultures and subcultures splitting into factions and, and uh, so unheard of. Purists insist that part of the experience is the limitations of the hardware. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes there are like too many little like sub functions running on my songs when I'm playing that um, 
I can tell my Game Boy is slowing down. Um, like it, it's having a hard time. It's, it's wrestling with it. Um, so yeah, I, for for me though, I'll get to the other channels in a second. For me, it's that's actually part of the appeal is the limitations. There's something about the creative work that says these are your options. If I'm given mm-hmm. like here's a computer, it can make every sound known to man forever. Um, I just hit a, a stopping point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. As you know, once there, once you can do. Now, now that now that there's the possibility to do everything, it's uh, it's just way too difficult. Yeah, I, I and then there are people who do fantastic thing, things with it. It's just my preference. Anyway, so we've got our two pulse channels. Those sort of sound like, you know, little those little beeps and boops. Then there's a wave channel, and one of the things the wave channel does is sort of any electronic waves. I admit I have not spent nearly enough time learning about how like the actual waveforms work in electronic mm-hmm. music. There are all kinds of tutorials that I should learn about. And I just, I have a wonderful book you can borrow that I've had for 14 years that I have never read. So if you're ever curious, <laughs> there we go, because I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I just mess around with the settings until like it sounds I like, but the wave channel sounds a little bit like this. Okay, so that's what the wave channel does. Uh, one of the other things the wave channel can do, let me turn my brightness up. Some of the some of the disadvantage of using an original 1980s Game Boy without modifying it is that um, it's not backlit. So it's just like when you were a kid and you were sitting in the car and like playing your Game Boy at night and the streetlights would pass by and you'd hopefully like only see little bits or uh, it's maybe a very me no, no, it's not. I, I still have my worm light that plugs into my yes. uh, my Game Boy Color. I don't know if it's compatible with that one. I, I can't remember I, if it is or not. See, now I, now I suddenly want to borrow that. When I you I can, <laughs> <laughs> don't turn it into an instrument though. I like that thing. <laughs> um, so the other thing that you can do is you can um, is you can play samples. So um, little wave samples that will. Um, let me make sure I find this right. Here it is. Is this it? Nope, that's not it. See, this is what happens. Is it this one? Well, we'll find it in a moment. We'll find you it. Can play, you can play wave samples of little, like, wave files on your computer, and you can make little samples. So built in, they have um, several historic drum machines, and they're approximations of it. So the Roland 808, or the Roland mm. 606, stuff like that. Of course. But you yeah. can put your own on there. Um, oh, I, I remember how I labeled this. Nope. Bear with me one moment. There it is. So one of the things I did at one point is I got really creative, and I, um, when Joy and I went to our first sonogram when Joy was pregnant with our son Luke, I, I, I recorded the sound of the like there's a like wah 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 sound that you hear the first mm-hmm. time they just like listen for the heartbeat um and i was so excited that i recorded it on my on my iphone so i took that i singled out just one of the little heartbeats and i've tinkered and spent a whole afternoon making it work right but um here is i put it onto my game boy so now you'll hear a little noise here That's happening with a little symbol here. I can delete. So is that, that's Luke's heartbeat that we just heard? This is, here, I'll I'll take out the symbol. So now, that is Luke's, that is Luke's prenatal heartbeat. Wow. That I then put into my songs. Now, Mm -hmm. 
this to me is a perfect example of the artist putting meaning into something and putting hope into something and nobody else getting it. You would not be able to tell listening to my music like, that's the sound of a heartbeat from a sonic. <laughs> um, yeah, not just a heartbeat, but this incredibly personal heartbeat. Right. And this incredibly um, emotional experience of your first child, the first sound you ever heard emanate from from him. So this kind of speaks to the the kind of thing where like, I have chosen a medium where almost every time I'm making a song, I'm making it about a deeply personal experience. And I'll mention a couple of them later, but there's something about picking a medium where it would be absolutely impossible for anybody to discern from my song what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Right? Like there's just absolutely nothing about it. No, yeah. Really? Music in and of itself can't express anything, as you know, Stravinsky said. Yeah. So it, it, it's just, it, it can't do that. But for me doing that work of putting that into songs um does a lot of work um okay so th those are three channels the, the wave channel can kind of do the the waveforms and the samples mm -hmm. the last one is just called the noise channel um it, it is exactly that um as a humorous anecdote as i was getting ready and preparing for um setting up this call and figure out how to get my game boys to play nicely with a computer um <laughs> It, the, the audio kept coming out weird and it's because zoom continue considered my music to be background noise that needed to be filtered <laughs> out and so <laughs> we i had to i had to tell it to not do that yeah. so, the, the so just automatically automatically the computer automatically puts your uh, your expressions of hope in the waste bin that's right no thank you um <laughs> so here's um here's the noise channel uh sounds a little bit like this It'll be some version of either like a hiss or like a crackling sound, and you can change how long it plays in different pitches. And you can, right? You mess around with the settings to get something that that's mildly percussive. Um, does, does it always have to be percussive? Does it have to be a pulse or a beat? There's, I mean, you could just have like, I mean, otherwise it's just long sustained noise. But um, I see yeah, no so, problem with that. <laughs> so here, hold on. No, I'm not going to be able to do something live to figure out something. Well, here, hold on. We'll make a brand new instrument. You're getting a real live setting here. Yeah. Um, okay. So here's just... That's just playing noise. Uh -huh. Change it. I'm going to mess around with the settings. You're going to get different sounds here. So I can change how long it goes. So it'll just be... Now we're gonna now we're gonna mess around. You're gonna get real. It always sounds like springs to me. So that then starts to sound like you're playing Atari. Um, anyways, that's the thing the noise channel can do. So people have found all kinds of very creative ways um, to deal with that. So uh, again, this is my creative expression, and I'll, we'll play something that sounds more like a song in a moment. Um, but what I wanted to do, what I thought might be helpful is um, to kind of show some of the ways that I pour my own creativity into this, how I find ways to express my hope through this music, not as a way, um, not as a way to be like, look at my artistic genius, because to be clear, <laughs> I am mediocre at this. I, I have played a few live shows in chiptunes communities, and I always feel like a degree of 
an imposter. Um, and I think a lot of us, I think even professional artists, feel a degree of imposter syndrome. There's always someone else you can compare yourself to. Anytime you're drawing, you can always look and see someone who is drawing better than you, and their art is better, and there's a comparison to it. And I think in terms of this creativity as a way to hope, that the hope is in the hoping, there's something really important of saying, I don't have to actually produce something that other people would judge to be good because this is for me to express my hope this is for mm -hmm. me to try and do something mm -hmm. um, and so what i, I want to go through a couple of examples of places and ways that i pour myself into this not so you can emulate that although if you want to try and if someone else wants to jump into this chiptunes world with me, I will be your Sherpa through this strange and terrifying mountain of... You could gain some gain some uh, disciples. Yeah, that's what I need. Yeah. I need a whole... I can start my own label. Uh, <laughs> I'll be your manager. I'll make millions. There you go. Um, um, well, what's interesting about what you've just illustrated so far is, you know, hey, there's, there's four you know, channels here you can you can use and yeah. everything springs out of those four seeds mm -hmm. um and earlier you were breaking down you know the structure of a collect and you know the, the very rigid form um and that is you know not not all art exists in rigid form but sometimes the best does yeah. um and you've almost just you've just given you know, your very you know tight boundaries within which you allow yourself to express and be creative and you know isn't that you know very small tool set isn't that how we hope um you know in any way and that you know we don't we don't really have that um, excuse me we don't really have you know, this massive you know, toolkit of hope we have um you know the sacraments and the spiritual disciplines we have christian community yeah. um but we are limited in, in and of what we what we can do and how we can hope yeah and even i mean even if you reflect on all the places people have found hope this year from like joy being quarantined and seeing the birds outside to like yes um to to matt at the beginning of the year talking about sort of centering prayer i mean there's lots of different cre there's lots mm -hmm. of different ways that people find hope but you're right there's all these we, we can only hope from where we are we can't hope mm -hmm. from from anywhere um i can't remember where i heard the quote and i'm only 90 percent sure it's phyllis tickle but i once heard her say i think um some place is better than any place somewhere is better than anywhere and that idea that like your your lived reality of your real life is better than whatever imagined other potential like grass is greener scenario mm -hmm. right anywhere mm -hmm. is a terrible place because it has nothing real to it um it, it's not it's not a, a place with actual people with actual lives um, and actual problems, it's always an idealized form of things. And no right. one lives in an ideal. Um, we all live with restrictions. We do. I, I always think of John Cage's first rule and his rules of composition. Hmm. Um, and it is, I think it's the first one, or it's one of the first ones that says, find a place you trust and try trusting it for a while. Hmm. And that, that seems similar to to the, the Phyllis Tickle quote that you just yeah. mentioned. Yeah, so even... I'll, I'll say before I even get into my examples, I think, I think creative expressions can happen in a ton of different ways. We we think about the traditional like music or art, um, but it it could be like how you set up your garden. Um, it could be the choices you make about what mm -hmm. is on your dinner table. It could be how you arrange your furniture. Right? It could be something really physical like that. Um, there's just there is no limit to the 
ways that you can try and express meaning um, and find ways to put meaning into something. And I think, I think that's good. I mean, you could probably go over the top and become, you know, everything has to have meaning and become sort of a conspiracy theorist in your own life. But, <laughs> um, but what a gift to be able to, to create order out of disorder. Um, there's something about, you know, in Genesis 1, that the earth is formless and void and God creates order. We believe by sort of creed and faith that God created everything out of nothing. But the creation narrative in Genesis isn't, isn't really about the ex nihilo, God mm -hmm. created everything out of nothing. It's God taking this formless, chaotic void, the spirits hovering over the chaotic waters. And out of that... God creates a temple. God creates the, the temple of the earth and, and mm -hmm. this beauty. Um, so there is no place where your creativity might not manifest and where you might choose to express hope or find a way to articulate faith or say, this is why I do this. Um, you don't have to do that in every sphere of your life, but there are so many places where you could, I mm -hmm. guess. Um, so I, what I hope by sharing some of the places that I've chosen to sort of assign meaning um, into my own creative expression is hopefully a way to maybe prime the pump. Where else might someone else put meaning into their, into their, um, some part of their life? Um, or maybe it's a chance for you to gawk and look at the strangeness of Father Andrew's uh, chiptunes music, in which case, oh, yeah, they kind of my SoundCloud is Hunger <clears throat> You can find me on Facebook. I've got a whole, <laughs> I've got a whole like hour long concert on Facebook that you can watch. Ending with what I will add is a an excellent rendition of Sabotage by the Beastie Boys. <laughs> Dynamite. Um, okay, so the first the first example I actually can't play for you because I've discovered that when Zoom records audio, it doesn't record things in stereo. Those of you who listen to music in headphones ever, you know stereo sound plays on both sides musicians often assign place of either just through your left or just through your right speaker so sometimes it's the stuff on one side or they're panning back and forth um so one of the things and i did it for the first time in a little um representation of the liturgy that i did it's a nine minute song that, that goes through the sort of what i feel like the liturgy sounds like as performed by game boy um i started crossing myself in the music and so what mm -hmm. i would do is i'd play play a note then play another note an octave down and then play some note in the middle usually like the fifth all the way to the left speaker and then again all the way to the right in the context of a song you're not going to notice that particularly you're not going to be able to single that out but when i play that song or when i listen to that song i, I almost always know exactly where it is and i can hear it i'm like yep that's happening right yeah. <laughs> And in some cases, um, I, th I think in performing that nine-minute song live, I have actually crossed myself while while performing. The the, the downside of performing digital music is you're kind of just like hitting play and then just kind of dancing in front of people a lot. You're yeah, that's the, always the complaint with electronic music. Music is that it's ninety-nine percent of the time it's visually uninteresting. Right. Um, now, when you do, when you cross yourself on the Game Boy, are you, you've got, you've got a cross shaped, you know, up and down side to side pad. Are you hitting like up, down, <laughs> no. left, right? It is already, <laughs> so it is already programmed in, although I uh -huh. can't find some way to incorporate that. That's, I, I got to look into that. Um, okay. So the, 
so that that's the cross thing. I can't show that to you. Um, but what I can show you um, is sort of how I've played with um, I play with minor and major keys. And again, this isn't um, this is not like advanced music interpretation. I have in a lot of songs that I've written. And again, these are often about particular moments in my life, in my spiritual journey, how I'm feeling. These songs are a way for me to process it and they function kind of like a prayer. Um, very simply, verses are often in minor keys because they sort of represent my tension or distress. And then the chorus will switch to something that sounds more like a major key and it'll be largely like my moment where I'm, I'm expressing hope. Not uh -huh. unlike when the Psalms are like, why are you in distress, O oh my soul? And like, why are you downcast? And then they're like, I will hope in the Lord. So yeah, this is the, uh, in the, the petition psalm. The chorus is where you get to the, the but I will trust in the Lord no yeah. matter what. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So here, I'm going to play a little bit. Um, this is from a song I wrote a few years ago. Uh, I'm going to play a little bit of it, and you'll sort of notice where we get into the chorus. So here we go. then goes back into a sort of minor sounding key and it's where I tried to pull the voices back and for me it's like the verse was my own sort of discouragement and then in that chorus it's a moment um, where I felt like that's my encouragement from God that's my moment where 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 in the midst of all the chaos God is saying like well no no there there is this almost still small voice calling out um, that's sort of what I'm thinking when I put this together uh, so, so when you, after you make this, you know, I mean, uh, well, maybe just go, going back before that, do you ever just, uh, is it possible just to sit and just improvise all of this and just kind of like, all right, I'm just going to play out my feelings the way somebody would sit down at a piano and do the same thing? So there is, um, the, the program I use is called um, Little Sound DJ. There's another one called Muddy GB, which allows you to kind of like, playing notes in the moment little sound dj or lsdj um is it no it's painstakingly tedious 
to mm-hmm. put music I see. in. Yeah. You yeah. have to assign you have to assign a, a, a note and an octave. Then you have to pick an instrument and and it's sort of it's it's slow and like there's just lines of kind of code you're putting stuff in and you have to use if I wanna like increase the note by a half step, I have to hold A and hit like right for every half step I wanna go up. And sometimes it'll it'll sort of play it live and then like you get you in fact get so lost because it it's so difficult to put this stuff in, you get so lost in it that you have to often like replay stuff. Like, okay, what does this even sound like right now? Um, the uh, the the sort of measures, for lack of a better term, are in like sixteen steps, and so you would typically sort of make a song in four four, and then you sort of know every those would be then sixteenth notes. Yeah, put, yeah. There's your rigid structure again. Mm-hmm. But added to that, it's in. Um, it's 16 steps, but it's in um, it's in hexadecimal. So instead of, <laughs> instead of one through ten, one through 16, it goes zero through nine. Then it's after nine, zero nine comes zero a, zero b, zero c, all the way to zero f. Then comes ten. Um, so it, it's even hard to like remember, like okay, if I want something on beat three. I basically have to like look for the twelfth line, which is I don't even remember. Like it's it's incredibly complicated. Yeah, yeah. What, what you're illustrating here is just how it's just it's just very difficult. It's crazy, incredibly <laughs> tedious. And, yeah. and the Game Boy, it's harder. A lot of people will um, sort of run a Game Boy emulator sort of on their computer, pretending to be uh-huh. Game Boy, and then the keyboard's a little bit faster. Um, but that's again part of that restriction. There's something about. And the the people obviously uh, people who make interesting creative music that's fun to listen to is fun to listen to but when there's an artist who um does all of this and all of the sound is generated by these game boys mm-hmm. something so cool about it for me um, yeah it is it's the it's the labor of it um you know, I, I remember I, th- I don't think it was even i think it was when i was interviewing with uh howie whitaker the composition professor at wheaton college um, when I was in high school and he mentioned, you know, you, if you want to compose music, you have to be a little crazy because there's no convenient way to do it. Um, and, I th- and I think you've just really illustrated that. I mean, I didn't understand any of what you just said of the lines and the zeros and the Fs, but what you did illustrate is just, this is incredibly complex and it's a, you know, if it's a labor and if it's going to be a labor for you to do it, it's got to be a labor of love. Yeah. And otherwise, who would do this? Who would express right. themselves this way? Why, why would anybody? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, why would anybody express themselves this way? And I, I find sometimes, sometimes my composition is like, I will, I will sort of think of a melody, and then I'll write that melody down. I have enough, I have enough background in music. Um, the, I'll, I'll talk about that more in for the next example. Um, so I can sort of write a melody down and kind of imagine it in my head, right? Um, but I'm but I'm not good enough with music that I can think in terms of other key signatures. So everything I write's basically in C because when I write it in my head, I'm like, okay, this is like do so la, and I only think about that in terms of the key of C. So it's always yeah, there. yeah. Um, but sometimes I'm just like. Sometimes I approach things and I'll just hear like a little bit of something. What I'm often asking the question of when I'm when I'm enjoying it the most, when I'm jumping into it the most, is basically like, how does this feel? Um, every now and then I'll write a song because I just like the way something sounds. But it's very, 
the, the when I'm most fully engaged in this, especially in terms of finding hope, there's a sense of like, okay, I'm thinking I, I'm in this situation right now. How does this feel? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? If I were to express this using this medium, what would it sound like? And mm-hmm. I'll think of it ahead of time and then I can write it out. So it, it's not a great medium for like writing on the fly. Um, it's a medium that you kind of have to know what you're putting in ahead of time. Um, mm-hmm. You couldn't just sit at the piano. Um, although sometimes I'll sit at the piano, figure out, figure out the melody I'm thinking about and then write it out and then go back and kind of program it in. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of what is this? What does this feel like right now? Um, and then you have to program it in. And so there's a lot of there's. It's just all so premeditated, um, and yeah, demands a lot of that time and focus. And I, I think that's really great because you know, the example you gave of your your high school students going and writing collects, they had to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they were you know they were going out and and breaking this down, they really had to think or I, I, I you know they couldn't just spout off you know like you know, like like when we pray just thinking or speaking extemporaneously to god which is just wonderful but they really had to think all right now i've got to i've got to come up with a um you know a petition i've got to come up with this and so you're you're doing the same thing yeah um and so it's just it's coming and still fitting into this really good it's still feeling and it's still um you know just an overflow of the heart but in a very premeditated way yeah, it's an interesting. I mean, I, I suppose there are creative expressions that are a little bit more um, extemporaneous that that allow for a little bit more figuring it out. I mean, improv jazz be one of them. Um, sure. Yeah. Like, I mean, Michelangelo didn't just like freestyle the Sistine Chapel, right? Right. I mean, this is like mathematically a wonder that this yeah. thing exists. You look at it, like, how did he decide how many inches were going to be between these certain things? Like, that is. Yeah. How on earth did he do that? And I mean, some of that you have to be some kind of savant to do that. But but maybe this is an encouragement of creative processes that are slow, that aren't mm-hmm. that aren't in like a frenzy of of like this is amazing. Um, mm-hmm. That are w- what I find is a lot of times if I'm writing a song, it'll be little bursts of actual writing. But a lot of times I'm just re-listening to my stuff over and over and over again to wonder what the next few measures are going to be. Um, Mm -hmm. now there are times, um, I don't have examples of this tonight, but there are times where, um, uh, I've, I've tried to take passages of scripture and just be like, okay, what does this sound like? So then I have lines of text and I'm doing that. But even then there's a lot of work of just slowness to it and kind of letting the creativity come forth. It's why I find, found this expression is really good about seasons like this these months this is kind of what's stirring up in my soul and as i express it as i find ways to express it um it gives me space to to speak it out loud but then to to almost remember it well i've just started reading uh upon the recommendation of a friend a book by miroslav wolf called the end of memory um and wolf was uh living in yugoslavia in the 80s and was in the military and because Mm. he married an american was like heavily interrogated for a whole year and it was incredibly traumatic and he talks about what it looks like to remember christianly about those things to sort of 
he talks about justice, but also to remember it with sort of hope in mind, with a sense of wanting to even see his interrogators as um, hoping good for them and doing mm -hmm. that kind of work. Um, and so in some ways, doing creative outlets like this in a slow way allows us to even interrogate our own processes and allows us to hope in a way that that produces something maybe more Christian, that produces something aspirational rather than just mm -hmm. rather than just a raw expression of emotion uh slow creative processes um require us to maybe interrogate our own our own feelings as we're expressing them um mm -hmm. and even the things we hope for um, mm -hmm. and something probably is is you melted down and reformed and reshaped in ways you didn't quite expect yeah over the course of the entire process yeah um Okay, so the, the, the major minor thing is something I do. Um, another thing I, I like to do is we've got these, I've got these four channels. I often like to have lots of dis different voices interacting with each other. So um, I played viola in, in high school, well, in elementary school through high school, and I actually thought for a while, up until ninth or 10th grade, that I would, in fact, viola performance was going to be my career trajectory. I wouldn't have volunteered that fact if I were you. <laughs> I am proud of it. I cannot. <laughs> Viola jokes aside, I, uh, <laughs> I I get it. It's a section filled with third violins, and I know that. But <laughs> some of us chose viola and brought our talent to that. Um, More firewood than violins can could ever offer. <laughs> so, um, so I um. Anybody who's gone through um, Suzuki books, whether they use the Suzuki method or not, know that early string music is often Baroque, right? Because it's like the early stuff, you're often doing that because it's technical. It's often then it's kind of like etudes. It's not it's not as complicated. You're doing a lot of um, Purcell and things like that. I just remember a lot of my early stuff going through those books. It was Baroque. Um, on top of that, uh, my my dad's academic work is in in Bach studies, um, and so Baroque is a big part of my life. And and what I love about Baroque music is often the sort of voices that are kind of interacting with each other. They're kind of singing different stuff at the same time next to each other, but when you listen to it together, it sounds beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, so I love to do that in my own in my own music. I, I love to kind of write a melody for one line, and then like think of a different thing the other pulse channel is going to be singing at the same time and just ways it'll complement sometimes they'll be together sometimes they won't um and so i wrote this song actually about um there's one song that i wrote that i'll play a little just a little tiny snippet from it about um that season when i was discerning that i was called the ministry instead of instead of to go into music um, and it was tough because a lot of my identity had been wrapped into that there's a lot of affirmation from my parents in going into music. Mm -hmm. um, it was a tough shift. And so what I did is I took two different songs from that time of my life, kind of put them together. And so um, let me make sure I get the right spot here. Um, so one of them, my, my favorite hymn was um, Great is Thy Faithfulness. So at this spot in the song, one of the, the voices is singing this. Right, let me make sure I turn up the volume here. So great is thy faithfulness. The other, um, 
the other is a, a sort of riff off of a little bit of um, uh, I believe that the song was called Humoresque. No, maybe it wasn't. I remember it was one of the first viola solos that I played. Once I sort of hit that move out of like sort of kids pieces into like proper music that's actually not a watered down version of something. Mm -hmm. um, and so again, Suzuki book people will, might recognize it, but it, um, it, that sounds like this. Oh, maybe it doesn't. I gotta, see, I gotta turn music up. Here we go. There we go. So there was that piece, and that was a piece that I remember I could go pick up a viola and play half of it right now. I haven't played it in a decade. Mm -hmm. So um, I liked having those together because at that point in my life, those two voices were playing. There was this call to ministry. There was this sort of perceived call to music, a talent in both, and where was I going to go? And so the two of them together sounds like this. the other two the wave and the noise channel this is the this is the end of that song So that's sort of the the gist of that, right? Like it's, again, nothing of what I do is like, no one's gonna, gonna stumble across my SoundCloud and be like, this guy was a genius. Look what he does with these, <laughs> right? That's not gonna happen, but that's fine. Because when I play that song, and I've, I haven't performed that one for a while. Um, the, the first time I performed it was in our, our mutual friend, Laura Leonard's basement. That's right. Yeah, that was your, the Ungertron debut, wasn't that's it? That's right, it was. Um, so, you know, that's, that's really important for me. I listen to that and, and I, I can recall that. And the end of that song is, is actually me sort of feeling like, no, oh, this is where God led me. Like this is, I had a very hard season of, of transitioning. And in fact, for a time, I thought that I was going to be, um, that I was going to like be a youth ministry major and a music minor. And I kept on holding on to that, but there was something really important about just recognizing that, um, that God gave gifts for different seasons and that, mm -hmm. and that where he was leading, me was going to be good. And I, and I can say in hindsight that it was good. And I can look back at that time and remember those, those memories and those emotions and recognize God's hand in it all. Um, that was actually really important for me. Um, so there's something about the creative process, even I think sometimes in recollection that can do good work. It can, it can say, God, I've seen your hand before. Right. And the Psalms do that all the time too. They're like, God, you have been faithful forever as a way to sort of recognize God will be faithful again in the future. Um, right. Right. Yeah. And they, that's really powerful. The, the words that the psalmists are putting down are almost certainly not their first drafts. Right too, and they're and they're you know, they're working within a strict form, even while they're expressing really raw emotion. Um, and it wasn't meant, you know, like like you said, it's, it's 150 things you're allowed to say to God, 
um, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're still very raw and they're not, they're not meant to be perfect, even though there is, you know, really, you know, a lot of beauty in them. Um, <laughs> you, you, while you get your, your next example ready, we, I was, uh, I spent Holy Saturday with, um, with um, Mark Clemens and uh, Jacob Walhout, we watched uh, um, this movie Andrei Rublev about a you know Russian monk who in the early 15th century who carved icons and he mm-hmm. uh, was an artist uh, for the church. And there's this kind of series of three different three different moments in the in the movie that stood out. One is where this one artist says, "Oh, I I had this uh, this one carved icon, but it wasn't working out." So now I just use it to press cabbages. <laughs> um, and then another time where Andre Rublev has one, it says, oh, this one wasn't working out. And it's like this stump that has beautiful carvings on the side. It's like, I didn't like what was happening with it. And so they're just like eating lunch off of it. <laughs> um, and then towards the end, you know, there's this massive scene about building this huge bell and it rings and it's this great thing. The whole town comes together and this beautiful ornate bell is rung and the bell maker is so distraught. It's like, I didn't do it. I failed. <laughs> I was like, what you did here. It is. It's right there. <laughs> um, but it's very, it's just so different from what you, what some, what, what you find in that process and what's heard outside of it too. Yeah. And, and um, I mean, I'm telling you that the the point of me sharing this isn't like, hey, look, Andrew's got this weird other talent. Be amazed by his creativity, mm-hmm. which maybe I don't need to say that. Maybe that's almost certainly not happening on the other, other side of this. But the point I, mean, I, for one, am really, really enjoying like hearing you know, the breakdown of, you know, maybe I would recognize great as thy faithfulness, but then you said, hey, this was a very personal, you know, viola yeah. section of, you know, from music that I slaved over in my youth. It's very, that, that leaves a deep imprint on the soul. So for these things to be coming together, for you to play them separately and then together for it to work in this really wonderful personal counterpoint, I think it's really yeah. cool. And it's, it's, it's fun for me. And sometimes there's all kinds of times where I'll notice something that I did and like, I'm just, pleased by it like i'm like mm-hmm. this is really cool even mm-hmm. um i don't remember which example but one of the examples i played um i i mess with uh with the beats per minute ever so slightly just up and down like one or two beats here one or two beats there to sort of make it feel more human um mm-hmm. i recently found a, a youtube video where a guy quantizes classic rock songs so he takes the he, he takes them and splits apart the, the voices and quantizing is, I guess, in music production where you force everything to match the sort of be at the right tempo, sort of mm-hmm. like there's, so there's no variation. Everything hits the beat at the same time. And he quantizes like this Van Halen song and it's terrible after. <laughs> um, Whereas if you were to un- undo that on like a techno song, right. it would be horrible. It's like, this is supposed to be like, like a house track four on the floor. Like it's so, not, it can't get outside of that. That's that's the only justification I have for listening to music, <laughs> listening to Angertron live is that I will ever so slightly adjust the tempos to try and be the conductor of my little symphony here so it mm-hmm. feels a little bit more human. Um, mm-hmm. What does that do to your listeners when you do that? I think nothing. <laughs> I, I think it's imperceptible. <laughs> I don't think if you went back and listened, you could tell me when I adjusted the song up two beats per minute, down three beats per minute. I don't think you'd notice at all. But one, for, for me, as I'm doing it, I notice, and sometimes I worry like, oh no, I've done too much and this sounds weird now. Um, 
But for me, there's something about, well, no, at this moment, th this should feel a little bit faster. Th this should feel a little bit more relaxed. Like, uh, again, I'm trying, I'm trying to find ways to pour myself into the creativity because I <laughs> fundamentally believe that being creative, um, engaging your creative side is a thing that God made us to do. It's, it's part of the Imago Dei. And that's not to say mm -hmm. that everyone has to like be a creative, quote unquote, whatever that means. I just think there's something um, so intrinsic to what we are as humans and what we are as spiritual beings that says, um, do something, create, mm -hmm. whether, that's, mm -hmm. whether that's in sort of traditional artistic forms or otherwise, I think it gives us space to reflect beauty back to God. Um, everybody has, this is a tangent, but, but neither here nor there. Um, everybody has, I think, uh, a sort of personal apologetics, formal apologetics, the world of arguing for the existence of God or, or for the truth of Christianity is one thing that's sort of rational arguments that'll work with everybody. But I think everybody personally has their reasons for faith, their, their own reasons why they consider faith to be rational. Um, for for me, part of what's at the heart of that is the existence of transcendent beauty. That that I mm -hmm. think things can't just be beautiful for nothing. They they refer to something. And again, you could make a philosophical argument to counter that. But I, in my experience, when I have moments of transcendence, they are beautiful, and they I feel connected to something greater. And I think actually most artists and musicians sense that, whether or not they know it's God. Um, and, and actually, one of the things I miss most about, about high school is when I was younger, I was in lots of performing groups and I could mm -hmm. perform with people. And there's something very powerful about performance of getting to, um, I mean, this sounds like contradictory to my whole audience thing, but actually it happened in rehearsals too. Just the ability to create something beautiful was a transcendent moment. And I think mm -hmm. there's a reason why, um, there's a reason why we are like that. I think because we're, we're doing what we were made to do, which was to be creative. Beauty mm -hmm. is simply beautiful. It doesn't have utility. It doesn't have, it doesn't have productivity. It simply is beautiful. Um, and I think there's just something really incredible about that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, hey, maybe this isn't necessary for human survival, but it is absolutely essential for human flourishing. Yeah. Um, and what you've just described in a rehearsal or a performance with other people is it's a kind of a dialogue mm -hmm. of, um, of creating this beauty together, whether you're in a, you know, a string quartet or if it's, you know, one, one guy with a couple of game boys in the basement of a friend's house, right. it's still, you know, you're still creating that dialogue between, um, you know, the, you as composer and performer yeah. Um, and then, then as listener, and it's all it's all coming together. And if that listener is you know human being in presence, or if it's or if it's God in the privacy of you know the closet in the basement of your home, yeah, um, it's still it's still occurring. Yeah, um, it's still there. Now, now, what would you say? I mean, you, you said we should all be creative. Um, what, what would you say if somebody's listening? And they're like, well, I'm not a creative person. Yeah, um, I can't carry a tune bucket. I don't. I don't have anything to do with you know the arts or you know making beauty. What's that? What would you say to 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 that person? Well, probably probably two different things. Um, one is uh, one, the first one I might say is just try, like. Just, <laughs> 
start drawing stuff like start start trying to find abstract representations of things um i think a lot of people myself included who say i'm not creative what they mean is when i try and and act as an objective observer of the of the creative products that i make i don't think they're very good um now the so and sort of that person i would say like well who cares just make stuff um there is an excellent piece on the the wheaton the um the billy graham center yeah uh I was going to say, I keep on, there's too many B buildings at Wheaton College, and I mix them up because I didn't go there. <laughs> um, it doesn't have a, it a different name now to something, right? Oh, man. Anyway, I don't remember. <laughs> fourth floor of that building with the parking lot that floods. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when you go to the fourth floor, it's the theology offices are up there, and they've got all the artwork up there. Um, I mean, there's the Stations of the Cross, there's David Hooker's Corpus. But if you, you walk down the hallway towards the corpus and just to the left at least last time i was there there's some art done by like a baptist minister who like didn't consider himself an artist but just felt he had this prophetic need to say things and it i mean it looks like a kid's drawing but it's mm. fascinating to look at um so i guess to that person i might say like just try stuff like just mm -hmm. just one day sit down sit down with your bible like don't either either pray and sort of try and express where you are or just find find some source material to be creative from um and just say what is, what does this look like with whatever rudimentary artistic skills i have mm -hmm. um, i think that's powerful um but the other thing i would say is we probably in the the context of this conversation have to broaden our idea of what creative means and what creativity is like again think about um I mean, in some ways it might be writing, right? Like I'm, I'm making a big pitch for abstract, but maybe it's in your prayer life, write out your prayers, um, give a little structure to it, um, write haikus. Um, Tish Harrison Warren, who I, I, whose book I've been quoting a great deal from the pulpit, um, on her Twitter feed just has Friday haikus and forces, you know, asks <laughs> to write haikus. And if you're unfamiliar, haikus, you know, three line poems, five syllables, seven syllables, five syllables. Um, I... I I notoriously make the youth group sometimes we do highs and lows I make the youth group share them as haikus and I call them haiku loku <laughs> and they either have to they either have to do it all in one haiku or do a haiku and a loku um, they hate it they come up with the best stuff it's always incredible again strict strict forms it's it's a it's a wonderful starting place so I guess um expand some of your ideas if you're at all interested if you have any proclivity if you don't consider yourself a creative just start to expand your interest in what might mm -hmm. be creative um mm -hmm. find a medium that seems interesting to you get into welding get it right like do get a little sand zen garden and see what you do there um and mm -hmm. allow yourself to put meaning into it and don't feel silly this is the thing that i had to overcome with all these ways that I put meaning in, there's a little bit of even sharing them. I feel a little bit silly. Like this isn't impressive art. This isn't, you know, this isn't Bach using all 12 semitones in a seven measure phrase because he's doing all this. Like you don't have to be Bach. You can just be you doing something creative and there's something incredible about that. And there's something incredible in putting in that work. Um, so the, the last example I'll give here is, um, so shortly after I started making chiptunes music, um, I gave 
Joy was at her her one week um, teaching practicum at Honey Rock at just the end of her time at, at Wheaton College. Um, and I just came home to our apartment. There's some guy who needed a ride or needed his car jumped. And like naive 23 year old or whatever that I was, um, he his car needs a jump. I give him a jump and he's like, okay, can you follow us so that, so that, um, you know, you make sure we get, get home. Like, that's fine. He's like, can I ride with you rather than the car? And I go, sure. So this guy's riding with me in the car. Then he asks, through a series of events, I end up uh, putting gas in their car, going to the grocery store with him while his, his wife and friend are in their car, buying them a bunch of stuff. Um, and then they kind of disappear quickly. Um, next morning, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm at, at school. I, I think I must have been in grad school classes at that point. Um, I look at my car, which is very messy. Several things are missing from my car. Now, could have happened in the evening otherwise. Seems most likely that it happened while we were in the grocery store. Some stuff was stolen from my car. I don't know. The whole situation was really sketchy and sure. and left me angry and mad and upset. Um, and so I, I wrote a song about it. Because um, one of the things that got stolen was my Game Boy. That was really <laughs> frustrating. Um, so... Um, so I, I wrote this song about it, and one of the things I did with it is I messed around with with, with time signatures a little bit. Um, and so I wrote a song that's either that's in like six eight or three four, and so I had two of the voices doing things either in six or in three. So here, one of the voices at one point is doing this. Uh, make sure I do this right. Here we go. that 6-8 feel. So the other voice is doing this. So it's got that 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3. Um, so again, when I put them all together, they sound like, with the other voices, they sound like this. that feeling and I did the I try to do the sort of major minor shift thing about that you know you just tweak the melody a little bit mess around with the keys a little bit um, yeah it, it's it's since you pointed that out it's like impossible not to hear now like that shift and that slight shift in tone I um, mean it's subtler than you think but you still hear it it's like aha yeah I mean that song again not very creatively I that song is called Bobby the Thief Whom God Loved um mm -hmm. about it, that song is very much in the moment my own sense of frustration i remember mm -hmm. i had i had called the police and was starting to file a police report and then like they got a different call there was like a some big thing and you had to leave halfway through and i never followed up again and it, just <laughs> felt, it felt weird and it felt it was <laughs> it also also the image of like some guy got his game boy stolen out of his yeah. car getting put on hold for like a real issue at the police department yes. and giving you time to think about what you were doing Our is a nice image yeah <laughs> <laughs> it, 
it was that was the Game Boy I had in eighth grade. It was the it was the Play It Loud series. It was green. I loved it. Um, uh huh. And, uh-huh. and that's, I, I get it. <laughs> and the the reality is, I whenever I play this song, this is one of my this is one of my older songs that I still play when I, I play sets nowadays. Once every two years, when there's an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, I get really into this song when I'm performing it. And the reality is because it, it represents a real tension where I had to sit there and say, okay, what is important here? It continued on. I'd given him my business card. He called the church. He looked for help. Someone from church was helping him with some other stuff. And I even asked him like, hey guy, did you steal my Game Boy? And he's like, no man, like I, I didn't do that. And, and again, maybe he didn't. And that's wrapped up in it as well because my car was unlocked overnight. So maybe someone, maybe some like, jerk 19 year old from like next door did it like yeah who knows and they so there's a lot wrapped up in that but man it was so good for me to find a way to express it in a creative outlet and even to to then articulate in a way that this is someone that god loves and this is someone who in this moment i'm perceiving to have wronged me but i'm gonna choose to to put to (laughs) put to bits put put to to zeros and ones and like weird music mm-hmm. a way that that god is doing something here and, and and that was incredibly important for my own um for my own recovery process from what was a very very weird um evening for me even yeah you remember and and memorialize the event in a really different way mm-hmm. because you processed it you know, musically and you you kind of went you musically journaled it and i think you yeah you view it and remember it in a in a in a far more meaningful way because of because of how you treated it yeah um just in how you when you when you journal about something or you write a prayer about something it does you change your perception and just changes your attitude towards um towards things and and it's again it's changing your heart yeah and 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 i think god enters into that creative process and into that hopeful process that he enters in and and he honors the 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 feeble praise that you that you lift up this sort of sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving that you're offering you're saying mm-hmm. this is what i've got and i'm going to pour myself into it and you do with it whatever you want um yeah so that's uh that's my that's my expressing hope without words <laughs> i love it i love it i what i and what i think i love the most is just how how unique it is in that yeah, as ever the, the medium is the message. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, working out your faith with fear and trembling, you know, working out your faith with, uh, um, you know, lines of code and dismantled game boys, um, really, you know, just, you know, re, re, rebuilding it and bringing something new. Um, these things are, you know, novelty pieces, um, for collectors or for, um, just nostalgic Gen Xers or millennials. Um, but you know, it's, it's, you, you, you make something new out of it. Yeah. I think that's cool. Well, thank you. Um, yeah. Was there anything else? Do you have a, do you have a closing song you want to play for us? Let me, hold on. Let me find, let me look. It's a good question. I didn't think of a closing song, but I'll go and look for one. Yeah, of course. Maybe something that I'm working on. That I'll Ooh. give you a work in progress. This is this a premiere? <laughs> this is a world premiere. It is. It is all of like. <laughs> it's it's basically four measures that I'll just play through a couple times, but uh, we'll just play that and kind of tune out, and that'll be it. So thanks Absolutely. everybody for listening.
There we yeah, go. Yeah, thank you. This, this is my reflection on a few verses in Psalm 130. 